Welcome to Writer's Tricks of the Trade. I'm Morgan St. James, and tonight's topic is I for Interview. Like it or not, interviews become part of every published author's uh, life. For those who are shy or not comfortable doing live interviews, there are two choices. Only give written interviews or learn how to be an interesting guest. Some people are spontaneous, and um, the ones that are spontaneous find live interviews just a walk in the park. Others get tongue-tied and answer the questions with one or two words. That is the interviewer's nightmare, because then they have to pull information out, make the interview interesting, and fill the time slot. This isn't limited to writers. How often have you watched a TV interview with someone you thought would be interesting, only to see the interview struggling to make something out of answers like, yep, or never thought about it? Dennis N. Griffin, uh, Eric James Miller, and I have quite a bit of um, background in giving interviews and also conducting interviews. And so tonight, we're going to uh, share a lot of this with you. And in just a moment, we're going to have um, Eric and Dennis join us. And we're having a problem no, with hi, the hi, studio. Morgan. Are you there? Yeah. Hi, Morgan. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello. Okay, oh, Eric. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there's something funny going on with the studio. But... Um, yeah, like you and Denny and um, I'm sure many of our other listeners, I'm an author first and foremost, but I've definitely learned um, the importance of interviews and how quickly listeners and readers, for that matter, can and will form opinions. You always have to put your best foot forward in an interview, but, and some interviewers like to use a carefully structured set of questions those are generally the easiest ones because you normally get the questions in advance and you have time to review them and sort of prepare your answers. So the first bit of advice would be if it's a written interview, instead of just giving flat answers, try to think of a short vignette or an experience that might illustrate a few of your answers. People love to hear about successes and you know, they also love to hear about backfires. So always try to tell a good story even when you're being interviewed. That's a good suggestion, Eric. Let's concentrate on the written interviews for a little while. Fun stories always make it more interesting. Another thing is that many of the people who give you those questions for written interviews often use ones that have been used so many times there is nothing different that will grab a reader's attention or a listener's attention. The interviews become interchangeable, sort of like I've heard that song before. From the author's point of view, all they have to do is pull out an old interview and plug the answers into the current one. If you want to give the interview a little spark, a little pizzazz, if you will, don't be afraid to suggest some questions to the interviewer. They might not be receptive, but a good interview will realize you're giving them the chance to ask a question about something the author probably hasn't talked about before. What's your take on that? 
Well, you know, Denny, I've been on both sides of the fence, just as you have. And um, I've been the interviewer and I've been the interviewee. And I'll tell you, I never hesitate to suggest something that I think listeners will find interesting. You know, something that's a deviation from those standard questions. And it usually works out pretty well. Uh, If the interviewer doesn't want to include it, well, I couldn't lose something I didn't have, could I? And on the other (laughs) hand, as the interviewer, I really love it when the guests reveal something that no one knew about or something that wasn't highly publicized. I have a little different method when I put together an interview than using stock questions. And actually, that's the process we'll be using when we launch the interviews uh, with authors this November. I ask the guests to send me 500 to 1,000 words about themselves, and that shouldn't be hard for them being that they're authors. And I like them to tell me something that they'd like to share with their fans and people hearing or reading about them for the first time. That's an interesting approach, Morgan, but how does it work? Do you read? Do you simply read what they've written or, or what? Oh, not at all, Eric. Actually, what I do is develop questions for their answers, and I've really had some wonderful results. It works very well for written interviews also, as well as the live ones. You see, the guest is very familiar with what they want to talk about, So they're relaxed, and there's a flow to what they say. And many times, some really fascinating stories or facts about them come out that never would have been mentioned if I was the one developing all of the stock questions. Denny, you might be interested to know that this really worked well with several of the former mobsters you introduced me to for my columns in examiner.com. Hey, Morgan, I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Uh, You know, we should point out, too, that the more interviews equal more visibility. That's why we've decided to expand our format on this show to interviewing authors as well as giving tips and techniques beginning in October, which brings up the question, how do I find places to get interviewed? Well, a good first move is to visit websites dedicated to your genre or to profiling authors. I'd suggest sending them a friendly email with information about your book or books that you want to talk about or promote, some interesting things about yourself, and then ask if they would consider either interviewing you or having you as a guest blogger in the case of a blog host. When you do this, be sure to include a cover image and your website URL. One thing to keep in mind is that this isn't much different than a query to an agent or publisher, so don't write more than is necessary to jumpstart their interest but do include something that they are likely to want to know more about. Okay, that's good advice, Denny. Let's move on to what happens when one of these queries answers back and says yes. As I mentioned before, it's pretty pretty usual practice for them to submit a list of questions in advance and simply ask you to supply the answers. So you have to consider those questions carefully, but you should also think about what Morgan said, that's an excellent point too, and you know, add a, add a couple of your own. Um, your answers might trigger a positive or negative impression of you. They, they, they will trigger a positive or negative impression in you, of you, and that extends to your book and your characters. So think about the techniques that would help bond you with your audience. Analyze those answers in the interviews that you've read where you felt like you knew the person, 
and interviews where he definitely wanted to find out more about them. Visit those websites and read their books and just learn from other people. Yeah, very good point, Eric. I understand what you're saying. And also, if you have some sage advice you'd like your listeners or readers to know, and it isn't a stock answer for questions like, what suggestions do you have to offer aspiring writers? I think that question turned up in almost every interview I've ever given. Maybe you want to add something about an event or experience in the past or one in the works that ties into a question. How did it come about? What did you have to do to make it happen? And is it something an aspiring writer or a new author can try? That's an excellent addition to the things you must say about checking your work, not giving up, so on and so forth. Yeah, you know, I'd say, too, that as the interviewer, the order of the questions should sm- flow smoothly from one to another. shouldn't seem like disconnected thoughts, and you should actually create arcs similar to those in the books or stories you write. And that said, here I go, jumping to something else. You know me. <laughs> this mind just keeps rolling. <laughs> the thing about getting information not discussed before. You know, in one interview, my guest spoke enthusiastically about her interest in horses and the fact that she had one and that riding and writing were her passions. Well, no one had ever heard about her interest in horses before, and we got so many comments on that. But in another one, um, a man you introduced me to, Denny, the former mobster vet, Sal Mangiaviano, he told a delightful story about getting back into the country from Canada after being deported. And, you know, he didn't do it in the expected way. This 400-pound man rode a hidden jet ski across the Niagara River. And just picturing that as a hoot. And that also got a lot of comments. Well, I bet it did. Well, here's, here's a little bit of advice that applies to both written and live interviews. I'd say before reviewing the questions, think about the tone that you want to use for your answers. Is this the place to exercise humor? Is this the right audience for that? Or should you answer in more precise language? You may want to use conversational or, or sort of chatty tone also if, if, that's, the, if that's the tone you're, you're going for. What, what's this audience really looking for? That's the question you've got to answer, ask yourself. Is there an opportunity to slide a pr- subliminal promotional mention of your other books? There always is. And also, don't forget to mention columns or that you've written or that you're available to speak to other groups. But do it in a way that doesn't take over the interview. Consider carefully how much detail you should provide. And to do that, you need to determine what readers or listeners might want to know. So much of this depends upon the genre of your book or story and the tone of the website. Be sure to look at some of the interviews already posted or listen to some of what the other authors this person has interviewed and see if there's a similarity in the books or interview technique. Also, figure out if this is the right website or radio show for you. For example, if all of the authors interviewed write sci-fi and you write historical romance, you might want to ask the interviewer if their audience would find you or your books interesting. If it isn't a good fit, thank them and move on. It's to your benefit if the interviewer's questions strike some chord with the reader. However, you never know when an avid fan 
or of intergalactic travel novels has a grandmother who just loves historical romance and can't wait to buy your book for her. Yeah, you know, we could do a little role-playing to illustrate that point. Um, Here's an exchange that I think would play pretty well on a live interview. Let's consider an elaboration on a typical question. I know you guys have been asked this a ton of times. Where do you get your ideas? Well, here's one of my ideas. I had a a real dust-up with an HOA president, and that question created an opportunity to talk about a specific idea. You see, I had a nightmare experience that I keep threatening to use as the inspiration for either a book or a short story where I kill off an HOA president. And I've slid it into quite a few interviews. And you know what? Someday I will write that story. So, Denny, why don't you play the part of the interviewer in this? Okay, but you know uh, what you mentioned, Morgan, uh, before I get into that, reminds me of... uh, a book I've heard about called Mumping Off Fat Benny. And I think those <laughs> authors uh, also shared some real life, ex- <laughs> real life experiences. Oh, boy, didn't we ever. Didn't we ever. You know, we might have some time left at the end of this um, planned broadcast. And if so, let's talk about it a little bit, okay? Uh, good idea. But back to the uh, storytelling. Uh, let's talk about where you get your ideas. I know authors get ideas in many ways and understand you've been toying with something that happened quite a while ago involving an HOA. Care to share? Talk about an idea. I have to find a way to use this one. It happened years ago and involved the president of an HOA complex we lived in at the time. This guy made our life hell. Not only that, but he cost us over $40,000 in cold, hard cash for attorney's fees, money we couldn't recover. I've wanted to get even for so long. As a mystery author, I could kill him in a dozen ways, um, in print, of course. (laughs) But you haven't done it yet, have you? No, I haven't come up with just the right story. But it will happen, Denny. He'll be floating in the pool. Maybe he'll be slumped in the lobby. I could crack him over the head, feed him poison mushrooms. See, there are just so many ways to do it, depending upon the story. And when you finally write it, do you hope he'll read it and know it's him? Ah, uh, that's the sad part, Denny. Can't happen. This guy had the nerve to really die a few years ago before I could do him in. (laughs) I was sitting there reading the obits in the L.A. Times because I always used to like to do that to get, you know, interesting names or little background on a person. And I'm reading along, I'm reading along, and all of a sudden I go, oh, my God, he died before I could kill him. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's a good example. And something like that has a lot more oomph than just a dry answer to a a dry question, you know, where do you get your ideas from? And the nice thing about it is it offers a nice segue into discussing various kinds of of mystery novels that that you and other people have written. So Denny, as the interviewer, could follow that conversation with why mystery writers choose to choose certain ways to kill their victims. There's a whole bunch of jumping-off points. 
Yeah, okay. Well, listen, let's continue talking about live interviews because those seem to be, you know, real hard for some authors as opposed to written interviews where you can just take your time and work on it. And if you mess something up, you can, you know, take it out and put something else in. Um, but this this live interviews, that's a place you have to shine. If the interview has given you a preview of his or her questions, it does give you a chance to formulate some answers that sound totally off the cuff. Um, the important thing is not to make it sound like you're reading from a script and experiment with different levels of your voice and different expressions. And actually, it doesn't even hurt to talk with your hands like most of us do because it comes through in your voice. <laughs> yes, uh, I may be a former investigator, but remember, this is, is not an interrogation. So it's perfectly acceptable <laughs> to tell the interview in advance about topics you don't want to discuss. And may I take a, an extra minute here and, and tell you a, uh, an example? Jenny, my dear, you are granted an extra minute. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> Not with a gun. <laughs> this was a situation that I and the subject of one of my books, a fellow named Frank Collada, did a live interview at a radio station in Las Vegas. And we had recently come out with Frank's book called titled Collada. For those who aren't familiar with Frank, he was a former mobster in the uh, Tony Spilatro era in Las Vegas. And um, in fact, that whole era was captured in the movie Casino, dramatized. Uh, so we went to this radio station, and uh, Frank, of course, was was who they wanted uh, to answer most of the questions. They were directed mostly at him. They asked me a couple of things. But what I didn't realize when we went there was this particular station had Mayor Oscar Goodman. He was mayor of Vegas at the time on their show. He did a weekly show on that station. And Oscar... Uh, prior to getting into politics, was a mob lawyer in Las Vegas. And he and Frank Collada hated each other's guts. And <laughs> the the uh, there were uh, three co-hosts for this particular show. And I started getting bad vibes because when we went through the, at the first commercial, the first break, somebody, one of the staff members, came in with a plate of cheese and I didn't like that. It didn't look good to me. And sure enough, when the second intermission, the uh, the, the chief of the program, the, the star of the show, says to Frank, he says, well, he said, I understand from Oscar Goodman that you're a rat. Would you care to have some cheese? Oh. And uh, I, I virtually gripped the side of my chair my fingers because Frank has a temper. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought we might end up going out of there in handcuffs. And <laughs> amazingly, it was a total surprise to me. Frank just smiled at him. He said, no, no, thanks. We already had lunch before we came. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, but, but there's a type of situation, you know, uh, like I didn't do my homework. I should have researched the station before we went there to get a feel for how they did interviews, you know, and that type of thing. And I would have realized that Oscar was one of their people. And, and and that maybe it wouldn't have been a good fit. I didn't do that, and uh, thank the Lord, uh, Frank handled it beautifully, and 
and we escaped out of there with no bloodshed, and we didn't have to uh, didn't have to go down to the holding cells. So <laughs> Frank Frank didn't go back to his old occupation. <laughs> no, thank God. Anyway, uh, I wanted to bring that out. So, but that's a so, great uh, comment on <laughs> unexpected things and how to field them. Yeah. Well, and that touches on your point about don't be afraid to tell the interviewer things that you're unwilling to discuss. You know, um, that might have helped to uh, have prevented such a comment, but maybe not in that in that situation since you were sort of in the enemy's camp there. But, um, well, that's a good example. Another example is, let's say, for example, that you write, you know, what's called chick lit or cozy mysteries or even humor, and you have a character who's sort of a bumbling attorney. In that case, you probably don't really know, need to know much more about law than what you and we all see on TV because, the good news is that for that particular, those particular genres, you don't have to. So technical questions about points of the law might be a breeze for a lawyer or, you know, maybe an, an author like John Grisham who, who writes a lot about lawyers, but not for you. So you don't need to take that chance. If you've already alerted the interviewer and they persist anyway asking you something that, that you're uncomfortable with, you have a perfect excuse to laugh it off, and you should probably, you know, think of a sort of a stock way to to rebuff those kind of probing questions, you know, something like, oh, Thomas, you're so funny. You know my character, Laura Laughingstock, isn't a very good attorney. Why would she know that? And then <laughs> sort of put the subject to rest. Yeah, that's a good point, Eric. You know, it you can in a humorous way kind of fend off questions where you really don't have the answer and if you come up with something off the cuff, you might make a fool of yourself and you know, none of us wants to do that. So that's a good way to do it, to just kind of laugh it off and then the interviewer, assuming they're a decent interviewer, would let it drop at that point. So um, another thing while we're talking about this is to pay attention to every valid suggestion about how to give animated readings or engaging speeches. You know, let's say you're on the radio. Remember to smile. Did you know that when you smile, it can be heard in your voice? I'm smiling. (laughs) Allow your voice to reflect emotion instead of a flat presentation. You know, one of the banes of an interviewer's existence is like let's take that answer that you just gave Eric and go instead of any inflection in it go oh Thomas you are so funny you know my character Laura Laughingstock is not a very good attorney you know that wouldn't exactly win over the listener so you did really well giving that example, and that's something that listeners should pay attention to. Allow your voice to reflect emotion. And please, as we've said before, give the poor interviewer something better than one-word answers. You know, clipped answers make the job of drawing out the guest's sparkling personality so hard, and it will never, ever impress the listener. Hmm, That is so true. 
I, I'd, uh, if I could interject one more tale of uh, yeah, of you a know, live we've interview. actually got quite a bit of time left. Okay, so this this one is. Go with uh, it. This one, uh, and, and Morgan, you may have heard this before, so if you had, did, please bear with me. But uh, <laughs> uh, another mobster uh, I used to spend a little time with for different events was the late Henry Hill. And he was, uh, Ray Liotta played Henry in the movie Goodfellas, the, uh, the, uh, the famous uh, 1990 mob movie. And Henry had a drinking problem. And we went to do a live interview in a radio station, and they didn't have, for some reason, a kill switch. So there was no delays. When you said it, it was out there. And it was right after the tsunami in Japan a few years ago. And Henry showed up at the interview. Uh, he, he'd been out and had a few. He was pretty well oiled when he got there. And... The, the, there was uh, two hosts, co-hosts, and one of them uh, said, well, before we start the interview tonight, uh, you know, what do you think about those poor people in Japan, you know, and, and all the death and destruction? And I said, you know, I, my sympathies and prayers for them, and uh, certainly uh, people should, should donate to, the, like, the Red Cross and so forth and, and try to help out. So then the host turned to Henry and there was maybe a two or three second hesitate. Henry says, F them effing Japs. He says, my, my uncle was in World War II and they shot him down, he says. I don't give a damn, he said, if they all drown. So now I see the look on the interview. <laughs> the oh, God. Every and, nightmare. Oh, God. And, and like I say, it's out there. There's no getting it back. So anyway, he recovered, and we went along with the with the show. It was a half-hour show, and like at the 28-minute mark, he comes back around now, and he's going to get a final comment from Henry and I. So he asked me a question. I forget just what it was. And then, uh, I, anyway, I gave him, I thought, a sane answer. And uh, he said, and how about you, uh, Mr. Hill? He said, do you have any final comments? Henry says, after them, after them. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so... The poor host. I said, "Man, you asked for it." <laughs> but anyway, so live interviews oh, can God. be beneficial. They can also kill you if you got if you mis misstate or say something you shouldn't have, and there's no kill, and it gets out there. Uh, you can't get it back. So you, you got to be very cautious, both as the the interviewer and the interviewee. <laughs> That's so true. You know, I, I had a little Henry Hill story, too. Um, the one that I came up against wasn't as bad as yours, Denny. It wasn't on the air. It was a written interview. And I was supposed to interview Henry for um, examiner.com, and it just so happened that the interview was scheduled for St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, like you said, you know, Henry's <coughs> reputation for liking to tip a few or three. And so anyway, about 8 o'clock that morning, I got a call from his manager, Lisa, and she said, Morgan, I think we have a problem. And I said, what's that? And she said, Henry's been drinking since 6 o'clock this morning for St. Patty's Day. 
and he is as drunk as a skunk. <laughs> she said, I don't think he's going to be in any shape to give you an interview, and I know you have to publish it because, you know, you've already said there was going to be an interview with Henry Hill. I said, Lisa, don't worry. I said, you know how I do some of these interviews where I do questions for the answers? I said, I'll go into your website, and I'll pull some stuff, and I'll put together an interview, and nobody will ever know that Henry was drunk. <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> oh God! Well, poor Henry well, isn't with fun? us anymore. <laughs> He's well. cooking at that big, cooking on the run in the sky. <laughs> yes, yes, poor guy. Picking a few back in the in the sky. Do you, uh, do we have time to talk about your Fat Vinny story? Yeah, actually, um, we've got. I'm looking at our monitor, and we've got about 15 minutes left. How about that? Wow. So, Denny, why don't you take off with um, starting to talk about that since we have all this bonus time? Yes. Uh, the book itself, is, is the, the plot is about two authors and a lady who is assisting them with, with her story, telling her story. Um, she was a widow of a of a powerful mobster in Los Angeles, and they write the story for a for a publisher named Fat Vinny. Well, he he was nicknamed Fat Vinny. His name was Vinny, <laughs> and I won't get into all the details. But but anyway, uh, he was he was a rather large man, and uh, when they presented the manuscript to him, uh, he didn't want to accept it. He said it wasn't what he wanted. He wanted them to actually solve the murder of of the widow's husband. So things kind of deteriorated from there, and uh, there were movie rights at stake, and there was there was a lot at stake. And um, it turned out that the uh, the only way to get out of the contract the authors were in with the publisher was if uh, something should happen to him, and he passed away. So, uh, Morgan, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they're trying and they're trying. I mean, Vinny is really an obnoxious guy, and he doesn't care about the money. He's got plenty of money. So his thing is being a power broker. He wants to know that he's the one in charge of everything. So he's going to do everything he can to make these authors' lives miserable, and they finally come to the conclusion that there is no way under the sun that they are ever going to get the rights to their book back. So what can they do but bump him off, right? I mean, they're writing a story about a mob wife. And, um, I, you know, I want we haven't gotten a lot of reviews on Amazon, which surprises me because lots of copies of the book are out there. But the ones that we did get, one is a four and one is a five, and um, I'm, I'm just going to read what Sarah Edwards had to say on Amazon. And she says, um, I'm sure most of us have been there, so obviously Sarah must be an author. And what her title of the review was, More Twists Than a 1950s Dance Competition, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> and she says, You've, you know, I always like to give somebody else's evaluation than my own, Right. Um, mm. You've worked really hard to get a project completed within the agreed parameters. 
only to have the wind taken out of your sails, S-A-L-E-S, by a bully of a boss who tells you that they wanted something different all along. Meet Margaret and Danny, two authors who have entered into a dodgy publishing contract with local conman Vincent Vitale, not thrilled by the mafia widow tell-all he is presented with, Fat Vinny sends the authors out to rewrite the manuscript and discover the name of the murderer of the mafia kingpin, Tony the Nose. With a potential bestseller completed and a lucrative film deal on the cards, the authors do not want Fat Vinny to queer the deal. Out of options, it's decided that the only solution is to bump off Fat Vinny. An easy, fun read. And there's uh, another um, review that says, only one plot twist, but it's a doozy. And she says, uh, there is enough humor throughout to keep you interested, and the last chapter is a real jaw-dropper that more than makes up for any plots, shortcomings along the way. A light, easy read you won't regret buying. So that (laughs) is bumping off Fat Vinny. And, you know, just to kind of go back to that a little bit, the problem is, I mean, these are seasoned people. Every single plot they come up with to wipe out this obnoxious publisher should have worked. And every single one of them backfires until the final thing, and that's something that you never see coming. Yes, they even uh, so, resort to hire, hiring a professional hitman, and that doesn't get it done. Yeah, based on somebody we know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> By the way, he read the book. I think I think it. he was real happy to give us his input. <laughs> what he would have done. <laughs> you know, it really comes in handy, Denny, that you know a lot of mobsters. <laughs> Eric, have you read Bumping Off Fat Vinny? I have not read it yet, no. Oh, shame on you. I'll have to get you a copy. We need yeah. to get your feedback on it. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll write an Amazon review for you. Yeah, good, um, good. Yeah, you know it's really funny. Uh, we have had a show about reviews too, and um, just a, a quick word here. I think it's getting harder and harder to get reviews. And one of the things I've noticed, which is really strange, you know, you're not supposed to be able to put a book on Amazon that's perpetually free. But I always look for free mysteries and thrillers on Amazon, and darn if I don't see the same ones over and over and over again. Like, they're in perpetuity. They're free. And some of these books have, like, 2,500 reviews. Kind of makes you wonder what's going on, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. yeah. It I'm does, yes. I figured it was because they were top sellers. No, uh, these books are, I mean, I've been looking at these now for like three or four months, and the same books are there. And you're supposed to only be able to put them free for a very short period of time. So I don't know what these people are doing that gets their book listed for such a long period of time. And, of course, you know, if you've got a series that's a perfect way to get people interested in your series and then give the link to other books at the end of the book. But I'd sure like to know how to get 2,500 reviews. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that'd be nice. (laughs) 
Well, okay, now we're probably getting towards the end of our uh, allotted time here, aren't we? Yeah, it looks like we are. Um, well, folks, you should take our suggestions and with with bold new confidence and, and send out queries for, for interviews. Um, there's a lot of people that – there's a lot of stations and formats that are always looking um, for authors to interviews, especially about specific subjects, which – you know, might be the subject of your book. Um, always remember to make yourself and your book sound interesting as possible and try to include something that the interviewer is going to want to know more about. So my name is Eric James Miller. I'm a author, the author of the Four Rent Mystery Series. You can find out more about me at www.venisdude.com. Our next show is going to be in two weeks. We're going to be posting the topic and the information about it on Facebook and social media, so stay tuned. So until next time, stay safe and check out all of our past shows at www.writerstricksofthetraderadio.blogspot.com. And you'll find the links there to our show directory on Blog Talk Radio and the link to our new YouTube channel. Okay, thank you and good night, everyone. Good night, everyone, and if you uh, get a chance, visit my website, www.dennisngriffin.biz. Yes, and this is Morgan saying good night, too. And I'm going to echo what my co-hosts have said and invite you to please visit my website, www.morganstjames-author.com. And if you've forgotten any of these, remember, you can always listen to our show in the archives. That's right. Okay, everyone, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.